Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Hey, welcome to Politico Tech. Today's Monday, February 12th. I'm Stephen Overly. I've got some breaking news on the podcast today. It's about the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, which put out new guidelines this morning that allow some AI-made inventions to qualify for patents. Now, questions about the role of AI as an inventor have been nagging the patent world since before systems like ChatGPT exploded into the public sphere. And federal courts came up with one answer back in 2022, ruling that existing law defines an inventor as an individual, and that means an actual person. But the Biden administration guidance out today is not so black and white. While AI still cannot be credited as an inventor, the humans who use it can be, sometimes. So the nagging question now is finding the right balance between man and machine. On the show today, the director of the Patent and Trademark Office, Kathy Vidal, joins me to break down her agency's new guidelines and the role for human creation in an AI world. Thank you for joining Politico Tech. It's great to be here. I appreciate it. So the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office published guidance today affirming that artificial intelligence cannot be named as an inventor on patents. The guidance states that the use of AI does not preclude a natural person, as it says, from qualifying as an inventor, so long as that person makes a significant contribution. So how exactly do you define that significant contribution? We want people to embrace the use of AI. We want people to innovate in the country. We want people who don't normally participate in the innovation ecosystem to be able to use AI so that they can innovate more. And so the guidance today basically tells you what you need to do as a human being to be able to secure a patent if you do use artificial intelligence. That is why the guidance is so long, (laughs) in part, and why we gave examples. So I will say, in determining what a significant contribution is, the good news is is that we have decades of case law on this. So uh, the, the definition of significant contribution comes from an earlier case called PANU. And the examiners at the USPTO have been using that PANU standard for a long time. It was a 1998 case. So we rooted our guidance in that decision. And so for our listeners who maybe are not lawyers, you know, are not steeped kind of in the the patent law, for, for them, how do you define this significant contribution? What is that sort of process like to making that determination? So I will say at a high level that the patent system is made to incentivize human ingenuity. So we need enough of that human ingenuity in order to determine that it's worth giving someone a patent. Because if we give out too many patents, then it locks up innovation and people can't build on that. So when you think about that significant contribution in the context of developing innovation in the AI space, it's not enough, for example, just to think about what a problem might be and use that as a prompt for AI, right? So that's not enough for a significant contribution. Now, if you come up with a prompt and you use AI and you come up with a a myriad of outputs and then you do additional work. So for example, you analyze those outputs. Maybe you do some testing. Maybe you tweak the output of AI. Now you're rising to the level where you've actually done something more, that it's not just the AI that's involved in the inventive process. A human has done something more and something more akin to what we would have traditionally issued a patent on. So that's how we look at that significant contribution. 
Got it. So if I take something that maybe AI has generated, but then make changes to it, adapt it, that may be enough to qualify for a patent. Exactly. And the way I would look at this is we built this on the historical record of how we've looked at inventorship in the past. So if you're thinking about applying for a patent, it's no different whether it's AI that contributed or your coworker. So it's the same construct. So whether you had somebody in the lab do certain things and they contributed to it, whether you just handed off an idea and your coworker came up with a solution, AI could play any of those roles. And the real question is, what role did you play? Is there enough there that we believe you are entitled to a patent? So it's the exact same standard if you wanted to list yourself as an inventor on a patent. So other people may have contributed, but it's the same standard to determine you know, whether there is somebody who rises to the level of inventorship. There was um, an assertion in the guidance, and you, you actually made it here in the interview, that when I first read it, it seemed simple enough. But then the more I thought about it, it, it did feel kind of like a bold declaration, which is that the patent system is designed to encourage human ingenuity, human. Are you taking a stand for humans as a creative force here? <laughs> that would be a very bold stand. What I would say is we went back to first principles and how the Constitution was drafted. And the bottom line with the patenting system is it, it is meant to encourage activity. And it was drafted to encourage human activity. It's also meant to encourage investment in that activity. So we're trying to strike the balance between that and allowing AI to just go off and invent every possible solution and allow people to get patents on all of that. Because what we really want is not just patent protection. We want to make sure that those ideas that are protected actually get to market, that people invest in them, that they actually produce a result for the country, whether it's jobs or solving a world problem. And so that's how we oriented to it. And this guidance strikes the balance because we don't want to say AI can go off. Yeah, you can imagine this, right? AI can go off and figure out every problem that exists figure out every solution that exists, and then they could probably even file the patents on them. So if we were to draw the guidance in that way, what would happen is you'd lock up innovation. You'd have too many patents out there blocking innovation when there wasn't actually a contribution and when people weren't actually pursuing this to the point where they could actually get the products to market. We'll be right back. You know, there may be some proponents of AI who look at this guidance and say that it may still discourage the use of AI, which, you know, a lot of folks think can lead to breakthroughs in areas like science or medicine. How would you respond to that argument? So the, the way I would respond to that is to say, first of all, if, if solutions can be developed readily with AI, AI is readily available right now, right? So lots of people could use AI to develop that. And it doesn't make sense to lock that up and allow only one person to get a patent on it. So what we're really looking for is some human ingenuity, something more than just the use of AI. And I don't think that's a very high barrier. I think there's a lot of work that could be done even in creating the prompt. So if the prompt is just the problem statement, that's never been enough. But if it's more than that, as long as you do more than that and actually are involved in the inventive process, then it actually warrants a patent at the end of the day because it was activity that we wanted to actively encourage. It's activity that actually takes resources and R&D dollars as opposed to somebody just throwing something onto the internet and seeking a solution. I know that the PTO, you know, the Patent and Trademark Office has received already applications that have AI involved in the process. Do you have a sense of how many of those would you satisfy these requirements and guidelines you're laying out today? 
So I don't have a sense. I would say a couple things on that. So we did a survey back in 2020, and we found then that AI existed in about half of our technology area. So there are a lot of applications coming in that use AI as part of the inventive process. And that was in 2020. You could only imagine what the numbers are now. In terms of the applications coming in, there are other criteria that patents have to meet in addition to this guidance. I will say the one that really is probably more of the linchpin on this is the one related to patent eligibility. So it's one thing to create innovation with AI, and that's somewhat what we're addressing here. It's another thing to create in the AI space, and that's really where patent eligibility comes into play. And that's the next thing that we're working on. Actually, we're working on it right now to provide guidance around if you are developing in the AI space, AI tools, et cetera, are we going to award a patent on that? And when it comes to that, we're actually constrained by the court system. And I know that there's been a big push for legislation in that area. I have said we need more clarity in that area, and we need to make sure that patent eligibility aligns with the original intent behind the patent systems. I was going to ask you about that, because I know that President Biden's executive order asks for your guidance on this question of patent eligibility for artificial intelligence and other emerging technologies. Can you just give me a sense of what are the limitations you see now and and how you would like the law to address them? So first of all, on the guidance, what we're putting together is really examples and along with guidance on how you look at patent eligibility in view of AI. So that's what we're going to be coming up with. In terms of where we would like the law to be, right now, patent eligibility is very difficult to apply. So what we want as an office is more certainty in the law. It promotes the incentive process because If you know if you get a patent, it's going to be upheld. That gives you more incentive to innovate so that you can protect that innovation. It also protects the investment in innovation. You know, if somebody has a patent, you want to know that you're going to be able to protect competitors from competing with whatever you're investing in. So when it comes to patent eligibility, that's really our top goal is certainty. Let me ask you um, just a couple of questions that are on my mind reading the the guidance, and I'm, I'm wondering how you're thinking about them. One is many of the large language models and other AI systems today are trained on large volumes of information, including material that may already have copyright or patent protections attached to it, right, that already have a human creator behind it. Should all of those individuals receive credit when that AI contributes to a new patent? I'm really glad you asked that because there's a big difference between the law as it's evolved around copyright versus patenting. So, and we are separately taking on all the copyright issues. You're going to be hearing more about that. We're working with the Secretary of Commerce, Gina Raimondo, on that. For copyright, that does come into play, right? Because the copyright owner actually owns those derivative works. So if I take a painting and draw on it, if I take your painting and draw on it, I'm allowed to do that because you own that the right to have those derivative works. The patent system is the opposite. In the patent system, we're encouraging people to disclose their innovations so others can draw on them. Others can innovate on top of them. So I can get a patent on top of somebody else's patent today, whether I use AI or not. I can say, you know, I'm patenting this car plus this buzzer on it or this other feature of it. Now, that doesn't mean I can practice it, right? So that's where the rights come into play. So if I get a patent on something, I can exclude people from doing the combination of everything, including what I added, but that doesn't give me a right to make that car with the buzzer on it, 
right? If I want to make the car with a buzzer on it, I got to go back to the person who has the patent on the car and get a license from them. So, you know, the whole bundle of rights that people may have as part of the training data, there's lots of issues around that. I know stakeholders have different views on that, but bottom line is it's not something that actually implicates the patent system because if there are rights people need to get access to and rights in in order to practice the invention, that's a whole separate issue from who's awarded the patent in the first place. And so does your office play a role in in that at all, determining who needs a license for... We do not. That's something that the courts can determine. You know, individuals can determine if they actually know what rights they actually did build on top of. You know, certainly in the case of knowing that somebody has a patent and adding a feature, you know where to go to license that technology. Obviously, in the AI space... It's not even clear whether certain uses are fair uses or not. I know people take the position on that. And it may be hard if you're, you know, you have to figure out who actually contributed to all that training data. So there's a lot more complicated issues that we're working on as well. The other question I had, you know, these AI systems are also largely built by humans, at least for now. We're approaching a future, I think, where AI builds AI, but humans are still involved now. Under these new guidelines, could AI developers claim some sort of credit or be listed as a human inventor if their AI contributes to the creation of some new product? So not under the current version, unless they made a significant contribution as part of that. So I could imagine a scenario where I know what problem I'm trying to solve, and then I go about building an AI system, figuring out the data, and you could imagine that that level of contribution could rise to the level of inventorship. Now, that to me is completely different than I invented ChatGPT, and now I want to write an inventorship for every single thing that's ever created with ChatGPT. So if it's an off-the-shelf product, then you really haven't contributed to inventorship. It's just like building on anything else that exists out there, whether it's you know somebody else's patent on a car or anything else. You know, the conventional wisdom right now is that AI is going to play a larger and larger role and more ingenuity, you know, we were talking about human ingenuity, more ingenuity is going to come from machines. I wonder from where you sit, will the patent system hold up in this AI future? So that is a fantastic question. I will say, even in the guidance that we put out today, uh, when I think about that, I really orient toward what did the human contribute where the human should be awarded a patent. I'm not taking the position, and we didn't take the position, on whether AI was itself inventing. Because you can imagine that the work AI was doing as part of the inventive process rose to the level of inventorship. But it, it doesn't matter one way or the other because we don't award patents to artificial intelligence only to humans. So we're not making a statement whatsoever in that guidance about the level that AI is operating at right now and whether it is actually inventing. So just setting that aside, I will say there are many other aspects of the patent system that we're looking into that we have not yet determined whether the current system is robust enough, you know, including what's obvious today, right? We don't give you a patent if you invented something that's obvious in view of what's out there. Right. But what's obvious when you can set some issue loose on the Internet or run AI on it and it spits out solutions. So we've got to think through things like that. We also look at things, you know, some of our considerations through the lens of who's an ordinary person in the space. Who's an ordinary person we call in in, in the art. And that person's being completely redefined now that everybody has access to AI. So there are considerations like that that we also have to look at before we award a patent. And we are looking at those closely to determine, do they hold up as we believe that the considerations for inventorship do? Or do we need a new test? Do, do we need things to evolve? 
hearing you talk, you know, it, it seems like this is just a really consequential time to be in your job. Does it feel that way to you? Do you feel like you're in a big moment? I do. I do feel like this is a big moment. It's a big moment for the country. It's a big moment for the world that this technology has gotten to the point where it is today. And I have to say the fact that I developed artificial intelligence in the 90s, uh, it's really interesting that this has come full circle, that I have experience and background in AI, and now I'm sitting in this role making policy. And what's that like to be in the position you are now doing and, and having your background? You know, it's, it's exciting because I know what people are trying to solve for. And I never substitute my own knowledge for actually getting out there and asking people because technology is much different nowadays and any one perspective can't really replace getting broad stakeholder feedback. But it it's exciting for me. I love the technology. I've always loved technology. I'm excited about all the opportunities that AI will bring because the policies we develop right now are going to be incentivizing and protecting the innovation of the future. So we're at a new, you know, we've, we've gone through multiple stages as a country, whether it's the, uh, you know, when we're in the manufacturing phase and then we move to intangible assets. And, you know, th this whole AI enabled world is a brand new world. And who's the, who are winners and who are losers both throughout the world, both you know, with stakeholders in the United States, it all depends upon the policies we shape. Well, Director Vidal, thank you for joining us on Politico Tech. Thanks so much. That's all for today's Politico Tech. For more tech news, subscribe to our newsletters, Digital Future Daily and Morning Tech. Music in today's episode comes from the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Our managing producer is Annie Reese. Our producer is Afra Abdullah. And our editors are Steve Heuser, Daniela Cheslow, and Louisa Savage. I'm Stephen Overly. I'll meet you back here tomorrow.